I don't know if um, any of you are like Warren and I, but when you um, get the opportunity to have a holiday, we really like to try and visit a church in our local area where we're staying. And not this Christmas, but the Christmas before, uh, Warren and I had a week right in the heart of Melbourne. And we stayed in a little B&B and we locked our car away and we had our bikes and we just rode. We rode for seven days all around Melbourne and to suburbs and it was a fantastic holiday. And we decided that we'd go to a little church about 10 k's out of the centre of Melbourne. And the reason that we chose this particular church was because I had met the uh, pastor's wife at a, a college in Melbourne, a theological college where I was studying. And um, she wasn't a friend, but she was an acquaintance. And I thought, it'd be really nice to go there and to um, experience her church. So we did a dummy run on the bikes a few days before to see how long it would take to travel those 10 k's and uh, estimated the distance. And so for that Sunday morning, we got up, we got on our bikes and away we rode. And we got there on time, um, took off our helmets, had helmet hair for church, but that was okay, and walked in and um, found somewhere to sit, probably about the middle of the church. It was a really small church. There was only about 50 people there. And so we didn't sit right up the front. And that's a bit intimidating, isn't it, when you sit right up the front? And we didn't sit right down the back. We weren't going to make a quick exit, so I don't mean that for all you people sitting down the back. <laughs> we sat about the middle, and we determined before we came that we were going to join in and have tea and coffee after the service if that was offering. So we had a great sermon, can't remember it, but I know it was something about the new year, so that was good. And then at the end of the service, someone got up and announced there will be tea and coffee at the end of the service and you had to go through the front to a side door. So Warren and I are sitting there and we thought it'd be really good to go and do that. And we sat. And there was lots of little groups huddled around talking to each other and we were obviously the only new people in this church and we sat. So we sort of smiled at each other and I'm looking around the room inviting someone to come up and talk to me and I'm smiling and people would smile and keep on talking. So we said, well, maybe what we could do is just stand and slowly, slowly make our way to the back of the, the church. And if someone stops us, well, we'll be out the front and down into that, getting that cup of tea in a flash. So we started walking slowly, slowly back and taking our time and still no one stopped us. And so we kept going and we kept going and we stopped a little while and Still no one stopped us till we got to the front door, which was actually the back of the church. And the pastor was there and we thought, you know, this pastor says, don't go. Come and have a cup of tea with us. Well, we'd be there in a flash. And he shook our hand and then he turned to the next person. So we went, went out and we walked to our bikes. And I'm thinking... I'm waiting for someone to come running out of the church and accosting me and saying, don't go, don't go. We really are a loving church. Come and join us in a cup of tea. But no one did it. So we put our helmet on, got on our bikes, and we rode away. And, you know, I thought to myself later, that could have been two people lost to the kingdom of God as a result of what I felt was a fairly unloving church. And last week, Jonathan shared with us the hallmarks of a living church. And the number one thing was to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And today, we're going to look at that same commandment because Jesus actually adds an extra part to it. 
Jesus was talking to the Pharisees when he was asked this question, what is the greatest commandment? And there were 613 commandments in both the law and the prophets. And Jesus was asked, and it says preceding his answer, he was tested which one. And he says, love the Lord your God. But then he goes on to say, and a second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. On these hang all the law and the prophets. You know, God knows our hearts. He knows that we really find it hard to be loving. We really find it hard to step out of our comfort zones and to go up and make ourselves known to strange people different people. He knows that we'd rather feel more alive and welcomed in our own little group. And so he had to legislate love. It's a sad thing, isn't it? God had to legislate love. And the saddest thing is that he had to do it not only for those that don't believe, but for those who do believe in him as well. Now, the word neighbour is an interesting one because think of the context. He was in front of Jewish uh, teachers of the law and Pharisees. And they would have loved to have uh, thought of this term as a very localised term pertaining to themselves only, the Jewish race. After all, a Jew was someone who had been born into a set-apart race, who had special favour and guidance by God um, so that he could model God's holiness, his character, his glory, his majesty to non-believers. But scholars down through the ages have absolutely confirmed that Jesus was not only implying that neighbour meant to the Jewish people only. Neighbour meant to our fellow human beings. And even more so in scripture, we see a priority of love. We saw the priority of love in that commandment where the first person we are to love is God. And from that, from that love of God that flows uh, to him and from him and in and through us, we are able then to love others. In 1 John, sorry, in 1 John 4 it says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see, the commandment is is intertwined, the love of God and the love for others. And a living church should be marked by love. A living church is a loving church. And brothers and sisters belong in families. Proverbs says that God has placed the lonely in families. You know, there's a lot of lonely people in the world. You know, as the world becomes more affluent, as the world becomes more materialistic, it is true that researchers tell us that we are becoming more and more disconnected. We're becoming less loving. And I guess we just don't have to look too far, do we, to see that that is true. Every day in our papers, every day on the news, we are appalled by some even more barbaric act of unloving behaviour towards our fellow human beings. God places the lonely in family. He, families, he cares for us. And even if we 
didn't necessarily experience the love that God intended for us to experience within our own family of origin, the beautiful thing is God has provided us another family. As well as our primary family of origin, he has given us a spiritual family. In Ephesians 1.4, it says, In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. We've been adopted into his family because of faith in him. And in 1 Timothy 3.15, the receptacle of that family is actually the living church. 1 Timothy 3.15 refers to the church as the family of God. That family is the church of the living God, the support and foundation of truth. Jesus clearly sees that the ecclesia, the gathered ones who form the body of Christ, this body here in Wodonga District Baptist Church and other bodies localised elsewhere throughout the entire world belong to each other as we belong to him. The word koinonia means fellowship of believers and it's defined as being as committed to each other as we are to Christ Jesus. The term koinonia is a local and intimate term. You know, in heaven, when we all get there one day, we'll enjoy God's family forever. But first, we've got some tough work to do here on earth to prepare ourselves for an eternity of loving. God trains us by giving us family responsibilities. And the number one of these is to practice loving each other in your local church family. That is where you get the opportunity to go deeper with each other, to model this love that Jesus Christ modelled himself when he died for you and I on the cross. And when he says that you are to love your neighbour as yourself, we sometimes think, well, Lord, we know how well to love ourselves. In fact, most of our life is taken up with concern for ourselves. But we have to go beyond that and love others as much as we love ourselves. Think about that for a moment. If we just decided to love someone else, first in this body and then in the world, as much as we ruminate and think about and take concern about our own self, imagine, imagine what a transformation that would make in the world. Everywhere you look, there are signs that people are hungry for fellowship, community and a sense of family. People are lonely. People are longing for belonging. A few weeks ago, a lady came in off the street, came to church, and in meeting with her, I've discovered that she came because the very last remaining member of her family died. And she said, I had nowhere else to go. And she actually said to me, I need a family. And I thought, could we be that family to her? Would we be that family to her? Would we go out of our way, irrespective of background, age, gender, colour, moral history, social status, influence, intelligence, religious background or the lack of it, to love like Jesus is to love inclusively, indiscriminately, but to practise here first so that we can go out into the world. When that kind of love flows within a local congregation, there's no telling what can happen So now that you know that Jesus' second command is to love others, that he's legislated love, 
It's a command. It's not an option. You have no choice. If you don't feel like doing it, that's tough. You have to love. And it's scary to say, but a measure of the way you love others is actually a measure of, the, of how much you love God. It's a challenge, isn't it? Why do we really need to do it? Well, in John 3, 13, 34, Jesus goes on to expound this one commandment. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must also love one another. All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, I think back to the bike and I think that that church, it might have been a loving church, but love has to have wheels on it. Love has to have action. And we left not really knowing whether that was a loving church or not. And the world is watching. And Jesus is saying here that the world will know me by the way that you love each other. That's a pretty big statement, isn't it? Jesus had just finished washing his disciples' feet when he said this. And that act was a parable of his washing away the sin of his sacrifice, the cost that it was for him to love so deeply that he gave his life for us. Francis Schaeffer says, love is the final apologetic. Jesus placed no limitation on this command. He said, all will recognise and know that I live because of the way that you love one another. Tertullian, he, was, he lived in the second century and he commented on what the pagans said in his day. The pagans said, behold, how these Christians love each other, how ready they are to die for each other. Love for other believers was the greatest evangelical tool that the world knew. And Lyle Schaller is a researcher and he said that research shows the more friendships a person has in a congregation, the less likely he or she is to become inactive or leave. In contrast, in a survey of over 400 people who left churches, over 75% of respondents said, I didn't feel anyone cared whether I was there or not. Now, I have to tell you, Jesus didn't say pastors are to love their neighbour as themselves. He didn't say that. There's only one of me and there's only one of Jonathan and there's about 600 of you. <laughs> Do the math. <laughs> we are all called to love each other and the stakes are high because there are people going to eternity of hell and they're getting on their bikes and they're running, driving away, riding away in droves because... When our love goes cold, when we don't all take this command seriously, the world rides away. The world walks away. The truth is, it's up to every one of us to sacrificially love each other. Not just me, not just Jonathan, not just the rest of the staff you to each other. So what do you need to do? What should you do about that? How should you love? 
Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Hebrews 10.24-25 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. You see, Jesus modelled how we could live love and in particular the family of faith. He ate, he talked, he travelled, he ministered with his disciples, his faith circle to deepen and demonstrate their love for one another. The phrase one another or each other is used over 50 times in the New Testament. We are commanded to love each other, pray for each other, encourage each other, admonish each other, teach each other, accept each other, honour each other, bear each other's burdens, forgive each other, sing to each other. How's that one? Submit to each other and be devoted to each other. All of these can only be done in a local church community. So one of the hallmarks or the obvious uh, proclamations of that would be to say, you know what, I am going to become more devoted to the family of God that God has placed me in here. And one of those ways that I can do that is actually to become a member, to join. You know, I'll never understand why people find it reasonable to join a small sporting group, to join clubs like guides or, you know, interest clubs, whatever, and yet when it comes to becoming a member of your local koinonia so that you can love more deeply and love others, believers have all sorts of funny ideas about that. And yet that is the one place as a priority we should be putting our roots down deep into that word commitment, you know, that word that people hate to hear these days. We need to be committed to one another so we can practice loving one another because the world is watching. There are so many other ways to show that love for one another. You know, we are a big church. It is not possible whenever you come on a Sunday to just feel like you are cared for. In fact, broad research by Barna and others in churches has revealed that what makes a thriving church is not mere friendliness on Sunday mornings, but true concern, compassion and caring for others. The research shows that surprisingly few churches have focused on these deeper aspects of community. You know, last year, I just felt like my relationships were going two centimetres deep instead of two metres deep. And I'd come to the conclusion that being in leadership can be a lonely experience. You're just so busy, everywhere, all the time. But I had in my heart, God placed in my heart, a need for deeper, more intimate, caring, sharing relationships. So Warren and I decided that even though our time is at a premium, we could not afford to not join a small group, if that makes sense. Our time is so precious that we couldn't afford to not join a small group because it's in a small group where true community, true the ability to love one another can occur. And I have to tell you, we've started this year and it is absolutely a joy. And I have to encourage every one of you, Mandy, we're thrilled with this. But if you're not in a small group, join one. 
It's a command, okay? <laughs> In your small group, you can pray for people. You can pastorally care for them. You can take meals for them when they're not well. You can visit them in hospital. You can do all sorts of things. You can babysit. You can even help them move. And we all know how much we love doing that. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, Jesus didn't say, first of all, the people said, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, invite you in, needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? And the king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. You know... What excites me more than anything, we've only got a small pastoral care team. I'd love more. This is a plug for more people to join our pastoral care team. But you know what excites me is when I've gone to visit someone in hospital, they've really appreciated the visit, but they've said, hey, I've just had three members of our small group come and visit me as well. Oh, that's loving church. Or when you're praying with someone, they've put it on the blue card and our team prays for, it, for that person and then they, you contact them and you say, how are you going? And they said, oh, my small group or, or a friend that I've made here in the church. We're praying together. It's great. That's love in action. That's Love that's got wheels. And you might think, particularly men, you all this talk about love. You know, I find men are some of the most loneliest people here in this church. You are. You think you're tough. You think you don't need to be loved, but you do. And you need to reach out. I went to the men's shed, the opening of the men's shed the other week, and I was blown away. 60 men turned up. And the man, Ken Farrow, I think his name is, when he gave the mission statement, he talked about it being an opportunity for men to come together and have fellowship and care for each other and to go and do something out in the community. And I thought, that sounds like the church. Men, you can encourage one another. You need it. You can grab some young blokes. They need it. And take them out fishing, take them out shooting, take them out four-wheel driving, do whatever you do. <laughs> we'll do our craft. <laughs> but when Jesus who is the model of masculinity, says you are to love your neighbour as yourself. That's to you guys as well. It's not just to us women. So why do we need to do all these things? One thing I forgot. After church this morning, we've got a fellowship luncheon. I hope you're all staying. <laughs> I hope that you'll go up to someone. This is a fantastic opportunity to go and talk to someone you don't know and model that a living church is a loving church. Why do you need to do all this? Well, we've said that at stake is the gospel itself. The church is the repository of the gospel of Jesus Christ and we are the church. Imagine what would happen if all of us left here today with a renewed commitment to loving one another. If all of us said, 
We're going to get on our bikes. And I have to tell you, sometimes the tyres are pretty flat. Sometimes our actions are pretty exhausted, pretty lame, pretty flat. We don't feel like loving. But imagine if we got on our bikes and really went out and loved each other. If we left here with a renewed commitment to loving others as God intended us to love, actually as he commanded. Imagine if this church, which is a living church and hopefully a loving church, truly became known for its love. I reckon our small groups would not only be overflowing, but they'd be the crucibles of care and compassion to their members. And then from that motivation, there would be exciting ideas and experiments from within each small group to model love in some tangible way to our community. Perhaps a group might take on mowing five lawns in a street where they know there are elderly people or single parents who don't have motor mowers. Imagine if in our pastoral care teams, instead of only two or three truly amazing and committed people, we had a, an abundance of male and female members who said, Gail, I'll give up two hours a week and visit someone who really needs a visit. And I've got a list this long because not everyone is in a small group. Some people just can't get to a small group. Imagine how we could change the world if we truly took this command seriously to love each other as ourselves. Bill and Lynn Hybels says, this is God's ultimate achievement, a community, a centre of warm, pulsating, effervescent, outreaching Christian love. Are you getting excited? Just a bit? A place where all of its components are united in order to become a force in this world instead of a farce. Oh, my heart breaks. My heart breaks when I have to get on that bike and turn away because of lack of love in a local church. My heart breaks when people have left this church because they felt uncared for, unloved. Some are no longer attending anywhere. It's not my responsibility. It's not Jonathan's responsibility. It's your responsibility. Because God commands us. Because of what Jesus Christ did for us. Let me pray. Loving Jesus, we thank you so much that you gave us this command. We're so sorry that you had to legislate love. We're so sorry. We're so sorry for our self-centeredness. We're so sorry. We want to be loving people. Help us to practice that first and foremost within this community, this koinonia that you've put here for each and every one of us. Help us to be more committed. Help us to be more loving. Help us to model that and to act upon that. We would pray, strengthen us to do that. Help us, Jesus. Help us, Lord. Lord, as we go into communion now, help us to know that the greatest model for loving others was you and the love that you modelled on the cross at Calvary. 
oh Lord, help this church to be a living church that truly is also a loving church. We pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to come to a time. And as we do, we just want to be reminded that this command to love comes from a God who didn't just tell us that we should love. He actually demonstrated it. He actually modelled it. When we think about the cross, there are two beams There's a horizontal beam. Sorry, that's vertical, isn't it? There's a vertical beam and there's a horizontal beam. And this is where the two commandments cross together because the vertical beam is the love and worship that we have for a beautiful, amazing God who loved us so much that he sent his son into the world to die in our place for our sins. In Galatians 11, it says, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision... Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. The horizontal beam, that demonstrates Christ's love for us. His hands and arms were nailed to the cross. In agony, he gave himself for each and every one of us. The first great commandment relates to the vertical dimension of the cross. It has to do with our relationship to God. The other great commandment pertains to the horizontal dimension of the cross and it concerns our life here in community. It is impossible to love God without loving our neighbour because Jesus himself modelled it on the cross. We don't have a God that just tells us that we should love. We have a God that demonstrated that love, that sacrificial love for us. And as we come now to share in this communion table, this communion meal, we are reminded that his body, when we take the bread, was given to us in remembrance for what he did for us on that cross. And as we drink of the juice, we are reminded that this represents his blood that was shed for us on the cross at Calvary. As the stewards come in a moment and pass you, the bread and the wine. I want you to take the bread and eat it and hold on to the wine and we'll drink it together in fellowship together because the body of Jesus Christ is what binds us together as a fellowship of believers together. And it came at a cost, okay? 
for those of you that are still deciding whether this Jesus is going to be Lord of your life, that's okay. Just let the elements pass you by. David's going to pray for us. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you commanded us, first of all, to love our God, but similarly to love each other. But Lord, it wasn't just an empty command that you gave us. You modelled the love that we were to share. Lord, we thank you that you went to the cross, poured out your love for us, poured out your life for us. Lord, as we share this bread and this wine this morning, we are reminded of what you did for us. Lord, it's not that we're celebrating an empty gesture, but we're celebrating your life given for us. So what else can we do but obey your command to love each other? Lord, thank you for these elements. May they be for us. Your body broken and your blood shed as we celebrate your life given for us. And we do this together in your name. Amen. To just encourage one another, um, I just really would like to ask, just for five minutes, for people in our koinonia, in our community of believers, if there is anyone that would feel like they would just love to share an example in their own lives as to how the church, how they have experienced love in this church, in this place here. I just think it's a really good way to really put, you know, action on our love and to encourage one another in our love. So this is really impromptu. This is something, I guess, that could be a bit daunting for people. But look, we're all a family here. Let's encourage one another. Would anyone like to share just, just 30 seconds? Sue, how have you been encouraged and felt love here in the church? Um, Well, for a number of years, a group of women um, I've met with on a Tuesday morning and we've had a lot of laughs and a lot of tears and just sharing our lives together and praying for each other and it's been just a real highlight of my week um, because you just know you've got that support, people that are like-minded and very understanding and not judgmental, so that's been just a real blessing to me. Mm. Thanks, Sue. Bless you. Anyone else? Oh, right. Pev, right up the back. <laughs> Be thinking. <laughs> That's okay, Bev. I needed the exercise. <laughs> Didn't ride the bike, Janet. Didn't ride the bike, no. What would you like to say, Bev? I'd just like to particularly thank all the ladies that have put in so much um, for me, for particularly for my taxis. Every week there are a number of wonderful ladies who put in a couple of dollars a week so that I'm able to get around. And that is just something that is very much an example of love that they show. 
and I'm very appreciative of it. And I, I've been able to share that with a lot of non-believers, um, just told them and they've been quite amazed. So I see it as a very valuable witness as well. Thank you, Bev. Bless you. <laughs> uh, anyone else? This is like, oh, here we go. This is a bit like um, one of those TV shows, isn't it? <laughs> this is Kylie. Kylie, can you stand up? Um, I just want to say that 12 months ago I started coming to this church. Um, when I first started coming, I was a very, very broken woman and I was very, very lonely. I'd um, just moved here, didn't really know anyone. I had one friend and um, I was fresh out of a marriage breakup. Um, everything I'd put my faith in in life and my hope in had shattered and I'd come to a point where there was absolutely nothing left and um, I knew from when I was a little, little girl and I'd first given my heart to God that he was the only one in my life that I could put my faith in. So I was desperately looking for a church family to become a part of. And I did go to a couple of churches around this area and I was welcomed and shown love, which was good. And I didn't know where I'd end up for me and my family. But um, I ended up here and through God's love of his people here, I've been restored and my life has totally changed. And all those things that were in my life that were just too big for me and I just thought, how can I ever get through this? I have got through it and God has just provided me with so much and I'm just so grateful for him and for the love of his people in this church. Thank you, Kylie. Bless, bless you. Bless you. Uh, Lindsay, everyone's up the back today. <laughs> They're obviously not wanting to exit quickly. <laughs> this is Lindsay. Thank you. Thank you, Carl. I didn't want you to go back back up the front and have to come all the way so back. So thoughtful. Thank you. <laughs> um, I've been, Hazel and I have been thinking about and wanting to, for a fair while now, is publicly thank the, um, the uh, Wodonga Baptist Church prayer group, um, Joan Brading and, and her other um, uh, members have been not only through my last... Uh, 12 months to a couple of years, but more importantly, for, um, for our little granddaughter um, and Matilda, and uh, she's slowly but surely, we're convinced that our prayers and your prayers and the love that, that she's receiving um, is starting to work. There's a lot of small at this stage improvements and we're, we've certainly got our faith in God and we know that and we trust that our prayers are being answered. And from Hazel's and my point of view, I've been so, so fortunate that I've had the support of Hazel and the church um, for um, over this period of time, and like Matilda, um, I'm it, it coming along good. It's going good, and and the members of the church. So thank you very, very much indeed. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Lindsay. Bless you. Yeah. Well, as you can see, I'll wait till I get down the front. I'll walk quickly. Well, sorry. Yes, Gail. Good name. Good name. A couple of years ago, I broke my leg and I just couldn't believe the love and the care and just the friendship that this church gave me. People rang me up that I didn't hardly ever knew, even knew and I was confined to... I broke a leg and sprained the other one. And my small, our small group offered to help in any way they could um, and they ended up cooking, brought us meals every second night, came, took me to appointments when I couldn't drive. They were just there and it was just something that we will, they and I will never forget. 
because Ian had a lot to do with helping me because I couldn't do anything. And I wasn't one to be incapacitated like that. It was a bit of a shock when I couldn't do anything. But that small group was just something that we will always appreciate and God's love really shone out of there. Thank you to all of them. Great. Isn't that still wonderful? <laughs> Great. Fantastic. Oh, <laughs> it's okay. We're oh, he's coming down the front. <laughs> this is a beautiful man, Ron. <laughs> I'm Ron. For those of you who don't know me, I have uh, had a lot of uh, bad health for some time. Um, I don't know all of you who have been praying for me, but there's been a lot of you that have held me up before the Lord in prayer. Going all teary. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to just uh, say to you how grateful I am that there has been this caring heart that you've uh, each one displayed. In particular, perhaps, I thank my daughter, Helen, for the way in which she's uh, helped and ministered and carted me around. And to our beloved Gail here, I don't know how many times she's visited. And there's others too that uh, have held me up in prayer. And uh, to each of you, I say thank you very much. And please keep the prayers going. God is working. My doctor that I've been led to is a, seems to me to be a good doctor, an intelligent doctor, <laughs> and he's doing all that he possibly can to uh, keep me on my feet. I hope to reach 90. <laughs> I'm only 81 at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> all praise and glory to God. Praise him. Thank you, Ron. Okay. One more. We've got time. One more. Last one. Tom. Thanks, Gail. Um, Margaret and I are going over to Africa. As of last uh, um, Monday, we had no idea whether we'd get away or not. Um, I had a bit of a health scare and... Um, Okay, and I, in uh, Matthew, uh, in uh, James chapter 4, it talks about when you're crook, you go and ask the elders and the pastor to pray, pray for you. And so I did. And as of last Monday, I've, been, I've had a clear bill of health and we leave on the 14th of April to go to Uganda with a clear bill of health. That's pretty special. And I thank this church. I thank you for jo Jonathan and and uh, Gail and Warren and the other prayers who knew about it. Not many people did. We kept it close to ourselves. But this is uh, my appreciation and love. It is great.